Well, good evening. Hope you had a good Sunday. Looks like we're about to get some rain. It's always good. So we are uh, continuing our study on the life of David, and uh, we've had seven fantastic weeks of uh, studying, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm sad that we're at the end of David. There's so many, so many more things we could have talked about and so much more time that uh, we could have spent uh, on uh, David and the life of David, uh, but we find ourselves here tonight at the end, and so we'll conclude uh, the study of David tonight uh, as we have... Uh, journey through the life of David. We saw the very beginning of David. We saw uh, how he was chosen of God, how he uh, rose to power, the, the internal struggle that he went through, uh, you know, with himself. And, and we saw the struggles that he faced with Saul. Uh, we saw the friendship that he lost uh, through death in Jonathan. Uh, and then we saw, uh, you know, the, the miscomings, if you will, or the failures of David through uh, many things that he possessed, and so David gets here uh, to the end of his life, and uh, let's see if this clicker works here. Yes, so David gets to the end of his life, and uh, he looks through the rearview mirror, and uh, so David sees the end result of his life, and he begins to recount all of the things that he did, and he begins to recount all the things that he wanted to do. And so we're, we're going to look tonight at the rearview mirror of life. And as you see, as we start here, the rearview mirror of life is often what weighs us down. And so we begin to look back at the things that we wish we would have done or we wish we would have said. And a lot of times that leads us to a road that we don't need to be on. And so let's ask God to bless our time tonight as we look uh, in the rear view, if you will, of David's life. And we wrap this up with David tonight. Uh, Lord, we uh, bow before you tonight. God, thank you for the example of David. Uh, God, thank you for uh, the life that he lived, the example that he lived. God, thank you for the fact that in all of his failures and shortcomings, God, that you still loved him, that there was enough grace, uh, Lord, that was far beyond what he needed to take care of him. Uh, Lord, and to draw him unto yourself, to which you ultimately said he was a man after your own heart. So, Lord, I pray that as we look at the rearview mirror of our lives tonight and we recount the things that we participated in and maybe see the things that uh, in our own hearts and minds we think we may have missed, uh, God, that we understand that you, you were there, uh, you're here, and you'll be in the future, Lord. And so help us to see that through the lens of Scripture tonight. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, when we look back, as I was thinking about David and you know, the recounting of his life, we began to look back over his life and see the things in which David uh, thought about and the things in which David wished he would have done. And we'll get to the Scripture in just a second. Uh, but in our life, it's the same way. You know, we, we often look back and we see things that we wish we would have done differently. If, if you think about uh, how many people uh, in the room today, if we were to open mic the room and say, okay, how many of you are today right where you thought you would be five years ago, or where you thought you would be 10 years ago, or 20 years ago. And so none of us really uh, determines, uh, none of us determines the, the path in which we end up. We, we have our plans. The Bible says, in his heart a man plans his steps, Proverbs 16, 9. But that verse ends with, but the Lord directs his steps. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's rampant in our society today. I mean, even again, if we poll the room, how many people graduated with a degree in which they're not using? 
And so we see that time and time and time and time again that we have a plan or we have this objective or we have this accomplishment that we want to accomplish in life. And then yet when we begin to retrospectively look back and see the things that were behind us that we did or did not accomplish, uh, we have this, this moment, if you will. And so we'll see tonight that David has this same moment. You know, the rearview mirror of life oftentimes does weigh us down, and, and we see the things that are behind us. Maybe uh, if you missed a turn in your mind or there was something that you passed up that you should have stopped for. But one of the things I want to encourage you to remember about the rearview mirror analogy is this, is that when you look inside of, a, uh, you know, in your vehicle and you see that rearview mirror and you're looking back, you see all the things that are behind you, but there's one thing in that mirror that is current, that is present, and that's you. Every time you look in the rearview mirror, you're going to see all the things that are behind you, but don't miss the fact that you are still in that picture. And the, presence, uh, the present circumstance of your life is how we need to uh, uh, approach the rearview mirror of life, if you will. And so David allowed the rearview mirror of life to weigh him down. And so looking in the rearview mirror, Paul wrote this about David. He says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. So Paul's talking about the life of David, and he says, in David's life, he served the purpose of God in his own generation. And so as I thought about that, uh, you know, the question comes to mind is, well, what about me? Can it be said about me, and you can fill in the blank, for Matt, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried and passed away from the face of this earth. So you fill in your name in that blank. So is that the epitaph, if you will, that someone will write about your life? Is this something that Matt did? Did he accomplish the will of God in his life for God? And so when we look back in our life, and, you know, again, we, uh, you know, I'm a a self-proclaimed recovering legalist, so, you know, when we look back in the rearview mirror of life, we see the things that we wish we would have done differently or things that we had said differently. But the ultimate objective is that God receives the glory for the life in which we lived. And so the purpose of God for our life then is to serve Him. You see, everybody has a purpose for living. Every one of us were created for a reason. If you're breathing air, then you have a purpose. And there's an objective that God uh, created you for and that God wants you to complete with your life. And so there's a journey of life that we find ourselves on. And in that journey of life, there's a mission that God has put us on. And that mission, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 29, is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, we'll revisit that a little bit later, but that's the purpose in life. And so as we begin tonight and look at David and his retrospective view of his life, uh, don't mistake the fact that wherever you may find yourself in life today, that God is sovereign. And as you look back over your life, God is doing everything in your life so that you would be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus. And so we can take, you know, all of the conversations about purpose, you know, the second best-selling book ever besides the Bible. Does anybody know what that is? This is we'll play a little trivia tonight. Purpose Driven Life, the number two best-selling book ever. I mean, that's a big title, right? I mean, who could say that? And why is that? Well, because everybody wants to know, what is my purpose in life? I mean, they've got purpose-driven church and purpose-driven life and purpose-driven youth ministry and, and all of these books that were written, but they were written for what? to help you discover your purpose. And so as humanity is enamored with the fact of knowing what it is that God wants me to do with with my life, David had a purpose as well. David's purpose was to serve as a king, 
So remember at the beginning, uh, Samuel went to Jesse, and they had in the town square had this big spectacle, and they said, show me all your boys, and all the boys came through, and Samuel said, nope, 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 none of those. Do you have any more? Well, I do have a boy named David. Go get him. David comes in. Guess who's the next king of Israel? David. And so his purpose in life was to be the king of Israel, but it was also to, perp- uh, to perpetrate, uh, to perpetuate, I'm sorry, the righteousness of Israel. And so his objective was to further the righteousness of Israel. Remember, uh, Israel wanted a king, and they insisted that God give them a king. While all other nations had a human king, God said to Israel, I am your king. And Israel said, no, I want a human king. And so God says, okay, I give you Saul. And we all know what happened with Saul. And so David comes in to right the ship, if you will, to lead them to the righteousness of God. And so the purpose of David was to do that. However, in knowing David's purpose, uh, David still ended his life with some unfulfilled dreams. He ended his life with some unfulfilled dreams. You know, as he looked back on his life, there were things in which he, he would have done and could have done and should have done differently. And, and if we're all honest, as we look back in our lives today, there's things we wanted to do differently. We all live with regrets when we look back, and there's things we wish we had done. Maybe something you had said, maybe some time you had spent. You've heard all the uh, uh, conversations about deathbed confessions and deathbed uh, conversions, and, and most people aren't given the opportunity to have a last moment, last thought. It typically happens, um, you know, sometimes it happens very rapidly. And so we have these regrets that we live with. Well, David was the same. In 2 Samuel, chap, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, David took a census against God's desires. And God didn't approve of that. You've heard me talk many times about 2 Samuel 24, 24, where David went to make amends to God and he wanted to buy a field. And so the verse that he, uh, in that verse he says, I won't offer a sacrifice to God if it doesn't cost me anything. And so it certainly cost David. You see, God gave David the choice. He said, you can have three more years of famine, you can have three months of invasions, or you can have three days of plagues. Now think about that. Three years of famine, three months of invasion, or three days of plague. Now if you had that choice, what would you choose? Most of us, like David, would choose the three days of plague. You know why we would choose that? Because it's the quickest. So David chose that for whatever reason, and 70 thousand people died from his choice. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago uh, when Pastor Tony uh, was teaching, one of the comments that was made in our handout was what? That sin has shrapnel. And so we see the shrapnel in the life of David. That as he looked back on his life and the decisions that he made, it affected a lot of people. And so David spent about a half a million dollars at an offering to attempt to cleanse his uh, his conscience. So, uh, you know, he looked back on his life, and he saw all these things that he had messed up. And so, as he looked at his life, beginning with Bathsheba, his life had become one problem after another after another. And so, David gets to the end of his life, and he makes the comment, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. So, here's David uh, about to pass away, and he's looking back. Now, on your handout, you see a a saying by Leonardo da Vinci, and uh, of course, he's known for art. Uh, But he made the comment at the end of his life, I have offended God and mankind by doing so little with my life. So someone who's remembered in his field quite often made the comment that he had done very little with his life. And so 
people live with regret. And they look back, and so I'm hoping tonight that we can help uh, each other with that as we see what the, the Word of God said. You see, each of us are held to uh, an accountable... Hang on. Each of us are held accountable to an unapproachable judgment in our life that we cannot endure. So if you and I try to stand in the face of the judgment in which we deserve, we cannot endure that. And so were it, were it not for the cross of Jesus Christ, we would have no chance whatsoever. Because if we got really honest, we can't even withstand the judgment that we place on our own selves. And so that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's why Revelation says that the enemy is the accuser of the brethren, is because we constantly live with self-condemnation in the world in which we live. And, well, you should have done that, and you should have done something differently. And so the judgment that we heap upon ourselves is often inescapable. And so it's the same thing with David is he was obsessed with getting everything right and he beat himself up about that even to the very end of his life. And so as David got to the end of his life, he realized that there were two unsolvable problems for him. This thing likes to jump two at a time. He realized that the fallen world outside of him was too cruel to fight. And all of the journeys that he had found himself in life and all the times that he had led the nation of Israel, sin just continued to come back and come back and be on the forefront. And so the world outside of him was too cruel for him to overcome. And the world that was inside of him was too crushing to bear. And so all the memories of the would have, uh, should have in his life was too much for him to bear at the end of his life. And so just like David, you know, we all have a picture of what we want things to be like. But what happens in our life is the sin of the world and the sin in our hearts closes in and reality settles. So the sin of the world and sin in our hearts closes in and reality settles in. And what happens with you and with me is that we remain disillusioned and unsatisfied. Look at our world today. Everybody's going for the next best thing. Everybody's, there's always more. Get more, do more, have more. More, 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 this unsatisfaction that has settled upon the United States. And it's not for more of God, but it's for more of everything but God. And, and we see here that sin causes that. It's, you know, I've, I've heard a, a saying many times growing up that sin will take you uh, farther than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it's the same thing in our life as sin in the world in which we live will do the exact thing to our hearts and it will leave us completely disillusioned and unsatisfied when we try to achieve things in our own strength. You see, we all have been there. And this noose of self-condemnation begins to tighten upon our life and then uh, the, the should have said, the should have done syndrome sets in. And so we have the late night regret, if you will, the quote, missing of God's blessing. Sanctus Real writes a song, and they say, I relive my days in the middle of the night. And so, you know, in, in essence, what he's saying is that I look back every day at the end of the day, and I see things that I should have done differently. The late night regret. And so David's experiencing this at the end of his life. You see, confronting this knowledge is where we, we have to find freedom, is that, you know, there's things that we all will make mistakes in. There's things that we all, uh, if we had a second chance to do it over, would do differently. Why is that? Because of sin. And so we're, we're not perfect, and so we're incapable of completely accomplishing 
all of the things in which we set out to do. And so the reality is that you and I will never fully obtain the idea of a life that we've always wanted. Because what happens is we set expectations in our life and we have these things that we want to accomplish. And there's always something in our life that's missing. It's this satisfaction of the world in which most people look for that they'll never obtain. There's always something missing, something that you could have done better, again, because of sin. And so when we get to the end and we look back, we realize that the only thing that we've missed, even before we met Jesus, was Jesus. The thing that's missing in your life and the thing that was missing in my life before I came to know Christ was Christ. I may not have known that. You may not have known that. But your testimony, somewhere woven in the fabric of how you came to know Jesus, was the fact that you lived a life that was dissatisfied, that was disconnected, and that there was something that was always more, always missing. And then when you found that thing that was missing, then your life became what it was always created to be. Every one of you, that was a great place for you to say amen, because every one of us, in giving our testimony, came to the realization that there was something in my life that is not here that I'll never find on my own, and that was Jesus. There's someone that can forgive me because I can't live a perfect life. There's someone who loves me in spite of myself. And when we come to that reality, realization begins to set in that that is what I miss in my life. And so we have these expectations and the expectations in our life is that, you know, prior to salvation, we would live failure to failure to failure. How many testimonies have you heard where they say, I sought satisfaction in alcohol, but it failed me. I sought satisfaction in drugs, but they failed me. I sought satisfaction in relationships, but they failed me. I sought satisfactions in, uh, satisfaction in material possessions, and yet it failed me. And so we go from failure to failure to failure. Everybody experiences this. this. It's nothing new. And so what happens then is what? Is that we lower our expectations. And we say, well, if satisfaction, uh, if I didn't gain satisfaction in all these things, we began to get lower and lower and lower with our expectations. And then we're satisfied by things that were never meant to satisfy us. Does that make sense? And so the point is not to lower our expectations. I've said this before, is that in Christianity what's happened is that we, we see the bar that, that was set by Jesus. And as religion, not, not relationship, but religion sets in, we try to reach that bar and we try to do and to work and to become what God expects us or what God desires for us to be, but yet we're incapable of doing that on our own. So what we do is we lower the bar and say, well, if I can't be who Jesus wants me to be, then I'm just going to attempt through religious activity to be what I think He wants me to be. But the point is not to lower our expectations. Might I suggest to us tonight that the point is to raise our expectations so impossibly high that we know nothing will ever meet them. That we raise our expectations so impossibly high that we know that nothing will ever meet them. And then we discover the one who does meet those expectations for us. Jesus. So we raise our expectations so impossibly high that we know nothing will ever meet them. And so then we discover that the one who does meet them for us is Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. 
And so in our life, if we know a God who is the absolute satisfaction of our every passion, so if we know that Jesus can satisfy every passion of ours, then what happens in our life is that He can release us. We can be released from our discontentment by the sheer nature of His perfection. So we don't have to strive for perfection anymore because Jesus is our perfection. And so through the life of Jesus Christ, the disappointments of lowered expectations that we encounter in our life, that we can raise the bar back to where Jesus set it and say, yes, this is the bar because that's who Jesus is. And my satisfaction comes not from my ability to achieve those, but through the ability of what Jesus Christ did and gave me the opportunity to know Him. Amen? That's another good place for us to say amen. So what, what in reality what that is is that Jesus Christ becomes our home. He is our home. And so we can rest in the fact that we have a home base and that we can say, well, I was incapable of doing this because think about home. What is home for you? Home is a place that you can be exactly who you are there's no pretension, there's no pretending uh, in, in your home, there's no, uh, you know, I've got to perform in order to be accepted. No, you're loved just for who you are. And so when we have a home base, that's exactly who Jesus is, is that in spite of who we are, Romans 5 verse 8, is that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And so our home base then is a place where we can be exactly who we are, failures and all. I'm fully known, yet fully loved. And so our home base is Jesus Christ, and we need a home base in our life. We need a place that we can be exactly who we are. That no matter what happens in the world, we have a Savior that is stronger, that is bigger, that is greater than any circumstance that we may encounter. See, a lot of times when we look back, we say, well, you know, I I lowered my expectations, and then I missed what God had for me. Maybe you've heard someone say that before, they missed God or they missed God's will. Well, may I suggest to you tonight that God's will is less about what we do and primarily about who we are becoming. So as David was looking back on his life, as we retrospectively look back on our life and we see all the misses that we made, yet in God's sovereignty, it was all a part of his plan. And so it's about who we become. And, and, you know, many times you hear conversations about, uh, well, I want to make sure I, I know exactly what God's will is. But in the midst of that, it's God who's shaping our heart to be, remember, Romans eight twenty nine conformed to the image of Christ. And so that's God's intention for us and for you and for me is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. So the activity may change, so the action may change in your life, but who God is, uh, the objective and who God is making you to be is still the same. He's making you to be just like Jesus. And so David's success and his failure did not decide his destiny. And so tonight I want you to know this, that whatever you've done in your life and whatever you've not done in your life, that that is not what determines your destiny. It's the sincerity and authenticity in which David lived with, that's what determined who he became. And think about it. What was it separated David from Saul? Saul was very self-serving. The Bible says that Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else, that he was good-looking, that he was tall. David, on the other hand, was you know, a poor shepherd boy out in the field that nobody even considered to be Jesse's son. 
Saul did everything for his own benefit and gain. Remember uh, where he had the battle and, uh, you know, he was instructed to, to devote everything to destruction, and yet he didn't do that because he kept some of the best for himself. And then Samuel says, what is the, uh, the lowing of sheep I hear in my ear? And then he tells him, God's more interested in obedience than in sacrifice. Samuel, or Saul was doing everything for himself, yet with David's authenticity, David was being sincere and honest. Remember the cave? And Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself, and David's there and has an opportunity to take out Saul, who's been chasing chasing him for three or four years, and yet David, in his sincerity, did not do anything. He had the opportunity to, but he didn't. And so that's a a great separator between David and Saul, but we also see that in the New Testament. What separated Judas and Peter? They both failed Jesus. They both denied Christ. But the separator was their sincerity. That, that Peter really wanted, that Peter really walked with Jesus, that Peter really knew Jesus, that Peter really wanted to be who God created him to be, that Peter was sincere in his remorse. It wasn't because he got caught, it's because he had failed. And so the, the separator is their authenticity of who they really were. And so David stands before the people and he shares his unfulfilled dream. So we get to Scripture here, First Corinthians, or Chronicles chapter 28, starting in verse 2, this is what the Bible says. It says, King David arose to his feet and he said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. So David stands up and makes a proclamation. He says, I had it in my heart to build a house of uh, rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. It was the one thing that David wanted to do was to leave the legacy of building the temple. That was the legacy David wanted to leave. He had one goal in mind. And God says, nope, you can't do it. David's life was built around the fact that that was his goal, that was his objective. And so he wanted to leave this legacy, and yet it didn't happen. And so he says, but God told me you may not build a house for my name because you're a man of war and you've shed blood. And so this, this goal, this dream of David's, is it will be left undone. You see, we all live with dreams and desires that we want to accomplish in our life. So what is that for you? What, what, what is the dream that you have that, you know, if I, could, if I could just do this before I step into eternity, what would you say that would be? Well, we would all say that when, you know, it's just you and God that there's something in your life that you would very much like to do. And so there's a blank on your paper for you to write that. Now, it may be in the privacy of your own home. You know, you're not going to turn these sheets in. But what is that? What is your dream? What is it that you want to accomplish for the kingdom of God? Well, David says, I want to build, build a temple. You see, just like David, it, it may be for you, it may be a dream that, you know, no one else knows. Well, David proclaims, I wanted to build the temple Well, maybe you've never vocalized your dream. Maybe it's a secret dream. But see, with David, and and unfortunately probably for you and me, there's going to be dreams in our life that we don't accomplish. And we we come face to face with the reality that, you know, there's some things that I want to do that I may not do. You see, David says in verse 4, Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever, for he chose Judah 
as leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all of Israel. Now, I want you to look at what David did here, okay? This is very important. So David says in verse 3, God said, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war. And so, we look at our dreams, we look at our desires. You say, well, five years ago, I wanted to be here. You know, ten years ago, I thought I would be here. And so, just like David, David says, I wanted to do this, but God said no. And so, you look back on your life and you say, I wanted to accomplish this, but it did not happen. And so you have a choice. You're at a crossroad here. Is that you can become bitter and you can look back with regret and say, well, you know, I missed it. I didn't do it. And you can, you can fall by the wayside. Or like David does here, what you can do is you can choose to focus on what God did allow you to do. And so David decided, he says, well, I can't change what happened in the past, but I can focus on what did happen. I can't change it, but I can focus on the good things that God allowed me to be a part of. Oftentimes in our disappointment, we get distraught over unfulfilled desires or dreams, and we often overlook the very thing that God has given us. So sin will cause us to look at things that we don't have. But God says, no, look at what you do have. Look at what you have accomplished in life. Look at what's happened in your life. And so David chooses to see God for who He is. David chooses to see the situation for what God has done, not where he, David himself, has failed. And so David was saying, God did not give me a yes answer. When it came to his own dream, he gave me a no answer. David just said, God said no. But what what God did give me in the place of that dream is other things that I can accomplish. And so what David said is that he would make the very most of the things that God gave him. You see, when we, we get to the end here, we're going to talk about a couple things that you can do in order to leave a godly legacy. And, and if we're all honest, as believers in Jesus Christ, that's the number one thing you can do with your life is leave a godly legacy. There, there's so many other good things that you can accomplish, but the legacy has to point people to Jesus. And David is saying here with his life is there was a lot of things, earthly speaking, that I wanted to accomplish. And they were good things. But what I did was with what God gave me is I just tried to point everything back to Him. And so we can either choose to live with regret or we can say by the grace of God, I did the very best I could with simply what I had. Now, whatever it is that you have, that's what it is. And it's probably not the same as what someone else has. And it's probably not the same as what someone else has done or will do because you're not them. You're you. You're who God created you to be. And so there's a purpose in which God created you to accomplish and complete in your life. And so it won't be the same as someone else. And so anytime we start comparing ourselves to someone else, that's where we start getting off track. And so don't look back on your life and say, well, you know, I didn't accomplish as much as this or I didn't do as much as that. No, God made you just who you are. And so we need to focus on that I did the very best with what God gave me. An old country preacher told me one time, just bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. So wherever God has you, make the most of that situation and pray that God will use it to accomplish His glory. And so David talks about what God allowed him to to do and what he allowed him to learn. And then he gives, what we'll get to now is 
is the keys to a godly legacy. Very simple, very basic, but, but rather profound in what David shares here with Solomon in, in the subsequent verses. And so we see here that, that David begins now to turn his attention a few verses later to Solomon. And he says in verse 9, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. So David turns his attention now. Remember, as we began, he says, uh, hear me, my brothers and my people. So he's, he's talking to a larger crowd here at this point. But then in verse 9, he begins to zone in on his family, specifically his son Solomon. And he says, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart. So David gives Solomon key number one to leaving a godly legacy, and that's to know God, to know Him. Now, who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba, somebody said it. Bathsheba, right? And so Solomon uh, is a remembrance constantly for David of the things in his life in which he wished he could do differently. You know, he thinks back on his life, and, he, and of course, it, with all of us in sin, we look back and say, man, how did I get so tricked or trapped, or why did I do that, or why did I get involved in that? And, and Solomon is a reminder of the fact uh, of the failures in which David had in his life, and so he knew within his heart that there was this momentary lapse of judgment. And instead of him looking to God and keeping his eyes focused on God the Father, he himself allowed himself to see things that he shouldn't have seen, which led him to do things that he shouldn't have done. And so he looks at Solomon and he says, I want you to know the God of who? Of your father. Who is his, who's Solomon's father? David. So David says, I want you to know my God. I want you to know God. The most important thing that we can leave our kids is the legacy of knowing who God is. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, we, we were talking the other night about, uh, you know, with uh, the next generation, the, the generation uh, older than me and, and the generation older than you, that all of the things that are known and all the things that have been accomplished, I mean, look at what's happened in the last 100 years. I mean, just think about humanity in the last 100 years. So we're in 2017. Uh, Titanic was in 1915, Okay. Uh, the airplane travel came in what the 30s, early you know late early 30s, something like that, mid 30s. Uh, World War II, so the inv- the advancement of war. We've got people in here that certainly remember that. That uh, you know the stories. My grandfather was in World War II. He's still living today. Look, look at the advancement of travel today. Look at the advancement of technology today. Remember when computers were the size of the e sanctuary? You remember that? And now today they fit in your pocket. I look at the advancement of society and all the things, you know, look at Steve Jobs and how he changed technology. And, and, and I mean, we could go on and on about all the things that have happened. And, and look at what Daniel says, that in the last days that, uh, that we will move to and fro quicker. In Daniel 11 or 12, I think it is, Daniel talks about how the advancement of, of travel will take place in the last days. Look at what happened in our generations today. But what's the greatest thing that we can leave our kids? 
The other day, uh, my little girl's been studying Anne Frank, and so uh, she was, you know, studying uh, some of the stuff of the World War II, and so she called my grandmother and grandfather, and like I said, my grandfather was in World War II, and so uh, she called him and, you know, was talking to him about that and talking to my grandmother about all the things, you know, that were, she remembered, uh, you know, after all of that stuff and, you know, the story and history that came out about Anne Frank and and so all these, all these things, you know, so she starts talking about all this stuff that has to do with history. And, you know, we can learn all those things, and, and those things are fascinating. Those things are interesting. But if we don't teach our kids just to know God, then we miss the boat. I mean, our kids can have, you know, we can teach them all the accolades and obtain all the degrees, but if we don't teach them who the creator of the universe is, then we fail. And so David says to Solomon, you've got to know God. You've got to know who God is. The second thing that he tells him is, you've got to serve God. You've got to serve God. And he didn't just stop there and say, you define that. It's subjective in your own life. And, and, and that's the parameters a lot of times I think we, we quantify our activity with. So David was very specific. He didn't say, you define service. He says, no, I'm going to define service for you. You should, you should serve God with, the whole, with your whole heart. With your whole heart and with a willing mind. Don't just give half of it. Give all that you've got. You know, he mentions passions. Earlier in Scripture, he talks about uh, the passions. Uh, uh, he, he talks about this earlier when he's talking to Solomon. He says, I want you to know uh, the passions of your heart. I want you to serve those with your whole heart and do it with a willing mind. Don't just put half of your efforts into it, but be passionate about what you do. We ought to be committed not only to knowing God, but we ought to be passionate about serving God. You know, this is an opportunity for me to uh, make mention of all the opportunities around our church. There are so many things around here that we could be plugging in. You know, people could find opportunities for service in. We ought to be passionate about that. And there's oftentimes, you know, it, it amazes me being able to be, you know, we talk about this a lot in staff meeting, but the opportunity to be a part of, of a body of Christ such as this, that, that people see opportunity and they just, they jump in and they, they fill the void. You know, a couple of months ago, we had uh, a void with children, and we needed some help in, a, in an area with children, and, and some people just jumped in and are doing a phenomenal job in the children's ministry, and we see it time and time again, and that's indicative of someone serving with their whole heart and with a willing mind. And so David says, Solomon, look, don't just, don't just know who God is, but serve Him. Give everything that you've got. He says, I, I want to leave you this godly legacy. I want you to understand what it means to know God and to give your life wholly to Him. You see, we all want the same things for our kids and for those that we leave behind, grandkids, neighbors. For, we want them to know, I stood for Jesus I was listening to a comedian, uh, ironically enough, uh, a little while back, and he made this comment. It was, it was so good for me to hear. Again, I joked earlier about being a self-proclaimed recovering legalist. And uh, so uh, what legalists do is we, we, uh, we attempt to achieve perfection. So if you're one, you know what that means. And you never can do it, and so you live in this constant cycle of you know, failure because you can't ever achieve what you've set out to achieve. And so you know, I've, I've got this one shot with my kids, and I've got I've to do my very best, and so I'm always conscious of, of doing my best and giving my best and leading well, and certainly I fail sometimes in doing that. And so I was listening to this comedian the other day, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, I was talking to my wife, and, you know, he said, I'm a goofy guy, and, you know, I, I, you know, I joke a lot, and, 
you know, I told my wife I was really down on myself, and I told my wife, you know, I've, I've got to do better. You know, I've got to be a better father to my kids. I, I, they need a perfect example, and, and I've got to do better. And he said, so here he's, you know, in this noose of self-condemnation, and his wife said to him, said, no, you, you know, you don't have to be a perfect father. She said, because your kids already have a perfect father, and his name is Jesus. So you're free to be just whoever God created you to be. Because remember, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so when we look back on our life, and again, self-proclaimed uh, legalists, we, I look back on my life and I see the things I wish I would have done differently. I can really get caught up in regret. I can really get caught up in self-condemnation. I can really get caught up in, man, I failed. I dropped the ball. I ruined it. I didn't, I didn't set the bar. I didn't set the example. And yet then I'm reminded that it's not me that my righteousness is based upon. And it's my children's salvation that won't be obtained from me or through me, but it'll be because of who Jesus is. And so I'm free to be me. I've got to still try to be holy because the Bible says, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. And I've got to try to set the example. But I'm free to be who I am. And I don't have to set the bar of perfection for my kids because Jesus Christ already did that. And so I don't know if that was as good for you as it was for me, but the, the thing is that I don't have to be perfect. And so, again, as a legalist, you just kind of go, wow, all right, I, man, that's fantastic. It's just like when you find out that you actually get a Saturday to sleep late. It's like, what? Yes, all right. So I don't have to be the perfect father for my kids because they already have one. And so that's what we need to remind ourselves as we begin to look in the past when the accuser of the brethren reminds you of what you didn't do. Remind him of who he will be. Right? Read Revelation. So he tells him to know God. He tells Solomon to serve God. And last but not least, he tells him to seek God. To seek God. He says, be careful now. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Be careful. Seek God intentionally. What, what does the, the New Testament say? Uh, Knock and, and I will answer. Seek and you shall find. So he tells him to be careful. God's chosen you. God's given you a task to build a house for the sanctuary. And so he says, be strong and do it. And then he says in verse 11, Then David gave Solomon his son the plan of the vestibule of the temple and of its houses, its treasuries, its upper rooms, its inner chambers, the room for the mercy seat, the plan of all that he had in his mind for the courts of the house of the Lord, all the surrounding chambers, the treasuries of the house of God, and the treasuries for dedicated gifts. So that's very specific. So David is, David is not just saying, oh, you know that temple thing I was going to build? Uh, well, maybe you can wrap that up for me. No, David spent a lot of time thinking about this. Now, what, is it, what does it say? It says all that he had in his mind. David's got a lot of stuff in his mind about this temple. He knows exactly how he wants to build it. He knows, he knows exactly where. He knows exactly all the things that will be involved in doing that. And so I imagine, if you will, get in your mind this picture of, of David, an elderly David, and, uh, and David kneeling down, and he's got this scroll, and he rolls this scroll out, and he says, all right, now, here's the plans. Here's what we're going to do. I built a, a tree house for my kids a few months back, and, 
And so I sat down and I, I'm not a contractor, but I, you know, kind of drew out this little thing of what it was going to look like. And, and so we, we, we would look at, you know, these plans and we say, all right, this is what it'll look like. And, you know, my kids kept saying, dad, are we ever going to get to put the walls up, you know, and I'm spending all the time on the foundation and getting everything. But it was an awesome time for my family, for us just to, to build this clubhouse. And I was actually sad when it was over with because, you know, we had spent this time together and, and building this and, and laying the plans out. And so I can see David doing that same thing and saying, all right, son, this is for the kingdom of God. This is going to hold the ark, the most precious thing that we know. And, and so I've got some very specific things that I want you to do. So he gets down and he shows him the plans. You see, David's he's doing his best. He's trying. And sometimes in your life and in my life, it, it can sometimes be enough to try. Remember, the, the bar of expectation is what Jesus did. And so we're never going to be perfect. And so what I've got to do is I've just got to focus on giving my best. What, what is my best? I've got to try to give my best. Knowing that Jesus Christ is what secures my righteousness. For David, it was enough. You see, God gave us His best through His Son, Jesus Christ. So we no longer have to weigh ourselves down by our efforts. And, well, will this be good enough? Will, it, will this accomplish what I need to accomplish? No, we, we base our efforts on His efforts. We base our success on what God did through us. And so we want to point that back to Him. And so when we, when we think about that, then in reality, we can't miss God's blessing because the real blessing is that you're His. The blessing of, of, of God's will is that you know Him, that I know Him, that we get to have a relationship with the Creator of the universe. So the real blessing is that you're His. The real blessing is that I'm His. And so... The legacy that David tells Solomon, he says, look, you've got to know God. You've got to serve Him. You've got to, you've got to serve Him with everything that you've got. And, and listen, here's how that's going to happen. How do you leave that? How do you show that to the next generation? By living it. So you've got to live that. If you say, I want you to know God with your whole heart, then you've got to know God with your whole heart. If you say, I want you to serve God with a willing mind, you've got to serve God with a willing mind. I've got to serve God with a whole heart and a willing mind. I've got to say, I'm giving my best because He's worth giving my best. And, and, and people, your kids will pick up on that. People around you will pick up on that. It's contagious. And so he says, serve and then to seek. And so he gives you know, this example of what Solomon is to do. And so as we look back on our life, we can say, well, here's the things I'll leave. It's knowing God, serving God, and seeking God. So David looks back on his life, and he's not bent out of shape by all the things that he could have done differently. But he focuses on who God is and what God is going to do next. So I want to leave you with some principles tonight in summation, if you will, of our eight weeks that we've had uh, in the book of, uh, in the life of David. So these are principles that we've, we've covered for eight weeks, but it's a good reminder of the, of the life of David, the summary of the life of David. The first thing is that our past is not the determiner of our future. So tonight, if you, you, your mind starts running and you think back, well, you know, what, what legacy am I leaving? Well, you're still breathing and so there's still a chance for you to leave a legacy. And so whatever's happened in your past, 
It's not determining your future. So whatever it may be, let it be. You can't change the past. But we can look to the future just like David did and say, God is going to build this temple, and you're going to be a part of it. So you can't let the past determine your future. The second thing is God always works through grace, and grace always allows space for restoration. God always works through grace, and grace always allows opportunity or space for restoration. So when you look back and you say, you know, here's what happened, there's grace. And grace always involves restoration. And so the legacy that you want to live, that you want to leave, that you want to live, is that in spite of my failures, God, but God, but God. So God always works through grace. And then we can remember that in, in knowing those things, that the past doesn't determine my future, that the grace of God is greater than all of my sin, then I come to the realization that in, in spite of me, I'm loved, that God loves me. God loves me just the way that I am. As a matter of fact, I, I, for years I've remembered this saying by Max Lucado in one of his books. He says, God loves you just the way that you are. He just refuses to leave you that way. His desire is that you and I become just like Jesus. So God loves you just the way you are. He just refuses to leave you that way. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem you, to secure our salvation so that in that opportunity of securing our salvation that we could be, have the opportunity to be conformed to the image of him. So you're loved. And so as we've uh, sung many times before, and as we've talked about in a few weeks as we've gone through the life of David, we're reminded that God's plans are still to prosper. You know this, right? His plans are still to prosper. He has not forgotten us. So wherever you are, whatever you've done, His plan is still to prosper you. He's not forgotten. He's with you in the fire. He's with me in the fire and the flood. Because he's faithful forever. And he's perfect in love. We can rest in knowing that God is sovereign over us. He's faithful forever. He's perfect in love. God is sovereign over us. And so when we look back in life and, and we have this uh, rearview mirror moment, if you will, we can rest in the fact that His plans are still to prosper, that He's not forgotten us, that He's with us in everything that we go through because He's sovereign. And so tonight we're going to do something just a little bit different. So Pastor Rod, if you will, go ahead and come up.